Welcome to The Paleo View. I'm bestselling author and co-creator of realeverything.com, Stacey Toth. I focus on being healthy inside and out through real life, food, and talk. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times bestselling author and creator of thepaleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Listeners, if you could see me, you would see me doing like that 90s dance, not the running man, the one where your arms go around in a circle while you do a little jig and you're super happy. Um, A la bring it on jazz hands, maybe. (laughs) I don't know. This show has been a long time coming, almost six years, in fact. And I'm super excited to dive into it with you, Sarah. I know you're in Canada. How is it in the future in Canada? In the future, and the future in Canada, I assume. I, in the future, I'm having an amazing time. I'm just over my jet lag now, clearly. <laughs> and uh, the kids have been impeccably well behaved. They're eating everything that's put in front of them and not complaining whatsoever. And they're totally digging, having amazingly flexible schedules and going to bed at all kinds of weird hours. And they're handling it like champs. I love it. I love this positive future <laughs> you're painting. This is, I'm like literally crossing my fingers as I say this to make sure I'm not like jinxing myself. <laughs> well, I will tell you, it's good to start out with a little positivity because I have a feeling this show is not going to be as rainbows and butterflies as your future experience in Canada appears to be. Um, I, might, I might feel a little worked up about this topic. So let me let me just, as you might recall from last week in the Paleo View, I mentioned this topic was specifically requested by me. Aha! All the best shows are. Um, <laughs> and I have loved ones, several loved ones. I won't call them out, but There are people that I love dearly who cannot let go of aspartame-based diet soda beverages. And there are so many things about soda in general that is unhealthy, and I'm not going to dive into that. But the thing that gets me is that these loved ones, I love their brains. Like, I love their brains so much that it would wreck me if they got dementia. And I have read so many times about how terrible aspartame is for the brain, not just like, you know, your overall health and the insulin response and and all that kind of stuff, right? Like, just brain health, that I asked you if we could please do a show. And I don't know what the show is going to be called, because This happens weeks from now in the future with Matt. But like I specifically texted you and I said, can we do a show called Aspartame is Evil? And you were like, okay. Sure. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Uh, And you know, it's funny because when I I agreed to it in part because I had a multi-year history of going through three cases of uh, caffeine-free diet Coke every single week. Um, and thinking that, you know, it had no caffeine and it had no sugar, therefore it must be the same as water. Like I really, I, I told myself that, um, and I, I drank that much for years and years and years. And one of the things that happened, uh, when I, when I gave it up and I gave it up as part of, uh, you know, sort of part of it was sort of cost effective, but most of it was, you know, learning some of the things that aspartame was reported to do. And I had uh, another friend who had lost 40 pounds and the only thing he had done was give up diet soda. So he, that's it. The only thing he had changed was give up diet soda and he lost 40 pounds in a, in a few months. Like it was a, it was a really dramatic change. And so that, um, no surprise, we're very, very influenced by whatever diet our friends are on that convinced me to give it up. And I felt so much better so quickly it shocked me and i was doing a lot of other changes so i can't tell you what percent of my weight loss was attributable to giving up diet soda versus you know all of the other changes that i was doing at the same time but it sort of when i when i think about what i know now and think about how many 
years and like into my first pregnancy, which is also like really, really terrifying with some of the um, in utero exposure data out there. And I just, I really feel like this is information that needs to be shared. I feel like it is very much swept under the rug. And as I was, we're we're not going to get into the politics, um, but as I was sort of researching, you know, like health effects of aspartame and I, I went to PubMed, which is my normal place for starting things. And the first couple of papers I found that were big review papers, I was like, oh, these, these show, you know, no adverse, you know, the perfectly safe. I'm like, that's interesting. That's not where, what I've read elsewhere. And let me go look at this paper. And, oh, it's sponsored by a food company. Okay, excellent. So let me find another paper. Oh, this one also that says it's perfectly safe, sponsored by a food company. Let me find another one. Oh, this one that says all of these problems, independently funded. And it became such a theme in my research for for this um, that I started looking up some of the history of how aspartame was um, approved uh, by the FDA initially. And I I don't want to get into it. It's complex. Um, and it, it touches on politics and we try to stay very apolitical on this podcast. Um, but it's, it's really shocking to me how much money went into approving aspartame, how many people got extremely rich and how many whistleblowers, uh, were ignored and in fact, um, you know, there was one uh, whistleblower who did an analysis uh, a few years ago who um, basically took all of the studies that were done on aspartame and whether or not it was shown that it was safe or there was some kind of adverse effect. And 100% of the industry-funded research on aspartame showed that it was totally safe. And 92% of the studies that were funded independently had reported some kind of adverse effects, some kind of health detriment uh, or side effect or something not good, which is shocking. Like that is exactly the type of, um, of skewing of information that um, makes – us all so skeptical of, um, you know, the, the food lobby, the big pharma lobby, like it's all of, it's all of that. It's that kind of result that makes you just feel like the entire system is broken. And I I don't want to be that pessimistic in my life, but as we dig into some of the studies that have been done showing with huge amounts of data, studies that are huge meta-analyses looking at hundreds of thousands of people showing strong statistical links and often mechanistic links between aspartame and adverse health outcomes. And it makes me so upset to think that not only does aspartame continue to be FDA approved and there's a lot of similar problems with other non-nutritive sweeteners. So it's not like you can just switch to Splenda and think that life's all going to be sunshine and roses. Uh, all of these sugar substitutes are, uh, that are, you know, these chemical based sugar substitutes are problematic. Uh, we're going to focus on aspartame today, but it, it makes me just even more incensed that the marketing is, uh, so, um, it's so praise on our, on our, um, on our worst, you know, our, on our self-esteem, on our sense of self-worth, right? It's all of these, you know, drink diet soda because it's calorie free. So therefore you'll lose weight. And that turns out to actually not be true, but the, the marketing is so clever that it's become this, you know, multi-billion dollar a year industry um, that's making people sick. So, I, I, wow, I'm really upset already. Sorry, I was talking on mute. If you could have seen me, there was wild gesticulating hands and veins bulging out of my neck. No, um, I get it. And, and I think that's the thing is I've kind of done this research my myself a little bit, obviously not into the science, the way that we're going to get into today, but... Um, it is incredible to me that something so to- toxic still continues to be on the market. It is 
it comes with a warning label. Um, and, and I heard you say that, you know, other non-sugar sweetener substitutes are bad, but I want to be clear that my personal opinion is that aspartame and those chemical sweetener uh, substitutes are not in the same category of bad. Like, in my opinion, aspartame is in a whole league of its own in how incredibly bad it is for you. So if you or someone you know is currently addicted to something with aspartame, help them at least move to something else. And then, you know, if you can, tea, water, flavored water, sparkling. I mean, my family's addicted to LaCroix, which I'm not even sure I'm saying that correctly at this point. Um, but I, I think ultimately you can have long-term goals of, you know, where you'd like to be, but at the very least, like we wrote three phase paleo with the intent of saying like, there are levels of badness <laughs> to how things affect your health. And I would say, you know, removing aspartame is absolutely like phase number one. If you can fake sweeteners, get rid of it. But if that needs to be phase two, fine. But we're going to talk about aspartame today. And in particular, it's the only one that comes with a warning from the FDA that I'm aware of. Did you see that when you did your research, Sarah? Um, I really stuck to the medical research. Um, You know, what's interesting is that there has been this surge of independent studies in the last uh, four-ish years that have been calling to the FDA to reevaluate aspartame safety and, and potentially uh, pull it as a, as a food additive. Um, and I think that that's where the warning level label comes from. But it's it's um, I mean I I am so appreciative of scientists who. Um, you know, go against this, you know, giant uphill battle to try to um, bring awareness to their data. Um, It is, I I can imagine that it would be incredibly intimidating to do so. Um, And some of them are risking their careers, right? They're, they're going up against monoliths that can, um, you know, you know, a, a scientist is completely, at the mercy of, uh, you know, funding agencies and uh, the, you know, academic institution that they call home. And, um, you know, it's not like there's tons of funding to go around, right? They're all scrounging for, you know, grant funding that is never actually adequate. And so you're taking a huge chance to, you know, make publicly known what you know to be is right because you've been studying it in such detail. And I, I really, um, I really commend those scientists who are working to, um, you know, show what non-biased research actually shows, which is that aspartame is very, very detrimental to our health. Um, there was a, a 2017 paper called Revisiting the Safety of Aspartame um, that actually went through probably the main mechanism behind all of the ways that aspartame can be detrimental um, and basically showing that it uh, disrupts our oxidant-antioxidant balance so that it makes – it causes oxidative stress and makes us less able to protect ourselves and uh, against – oxidative stress. So not just the oxidative stress caused by the diet soda or whatever you're consuming, but oxidative stress elsewhere. So it dramatically reduces our antioxidant capacities while also damaging cell membrane integrity, which means that if you're impacting those two systems, you are impacting cellular function um, in potentially any tissue in the body, um, which ultimately is going to cause systemic inflammation. And systemic inflammation is at the root of all chronic illnesses from cancer to diabetes, cardiovascular disease, obesity, autoimmune disease, asthma, allergies, chronic kidney disease. They all have inflammation as at least part of their pathogenesis, if not the direct cause. And so if you have a food compound 
that is causing systemic inflammation by messing with cellular health and with uh, your body's antioxidant mechanisms, then that is not a food anymore. That's a poison. That's a quotable right there. Holy moly. <laughs> um, and that's kind of how I feel about it is, you know, when I, when I think about soda, I think when any human, even if they're consuming it, when they think about soda, it's, and no one thinks this is a food. <laughs> no one thinks that it's nourishing their body and, and giving them the fuel that they need. Um, it tastes good, right? So maybe at the end of the show, we can talk about what are some of the alternatives that you and I, who both used to overconsume Diet Coke, um, mm-hmm. I haven't had one in years. Um, it's been eight years since we've been paleo. I did accidentally drink Diet Coke once. I like picked up a beverage that was my father's and, you know, it was like in a cup with a straw and I thought it was mine. And it did not taste the way I remembered it. And I was like, gosh, you know, I wish I could share this taste bud moment with the person who is addicted to it because it really is an addiction for a multitude of reasons. Um, Because if I could impart like this flavor that my taste buds just experienced onto that person that tastes it differently as they consume it regularly, I feel like it would be easier to give it up, you know, and like all you could taste is chemicals. So, all right, without further ado, let's jump into the science of why this isn't just us judging people who drink diet beverages because we're not. We love you. We want you to be healthy. No, and we just want you to, and we want you to know this information. So you can't make, um, you know, knowing a little bit of, oh, I shouldn't is very, very different than knowing some of these details. And that was one of the reasons why we go into the science like we do on this show, because both of us are people who find that knowledge to be motivating to make better choices. And um, I learned a lot, even though I had given up diet soda many years ago, I learned a lot in this um, in this research that um, <laughs> makes me feel very very proud of that choice. Um, but if I was still occasionally drinking diet soda, I would not anymore. Um, I think we should start with just what aspartame is. Um, so it is a, a class of what are called non-nutritive sweeteners. So it means they're not saccharide based. They're not based on a, a sugar molecule, um, but it tastes sweet. And aspartame, it's uh, so it's technically called a methyl ester of the aspartic acid phenylalanine dipeptide, which I think is kind of funny after talking about amino acids last week, um, because aspartame breaks down, it's a fairly unstable molecule, it breaks down very, very quickly in our digestion into three compounds, phenylalanine and aspartic acid, two amino acids, and methanol. So uh, there is some mechanisms around the amino acids, apparent, especially phenylalanine, because it's so easily absorbed, especially when you're consuming aspartame on an empty stomach. It crosses the blood-brain barrier, and it can mess around with neurotransmitters. And some of the neurological effects are actually attributable to the phenylalanine. However, methanol is considered to be the much more problematic aspect of aspartame. Uh, methanol is toxic in large doses. It's, um, you know, the alcohol that makes you blind. If you are making moonshine and your moonshine has methanol instead of ethanol in it, uh, it's the methanol is why that, that moonshine would make you blind. Um, and you'll often see in the sort of food industry that, you know, it's a very small amount of methanol. It's the same amount that you get in a glass of grape juice, um, you know, so don't worry about it. But there's actually a really big difference between the nas- the sort of natural methanol content of fruit versus the methanol that we get from breaking down aspartame in the digestive tract. And that's because the natural methanol that you find in ripe fruit, right, all fruit forms a little bit of alcohol as it ripens. Um, and that's one of the reasons why you can get methanol from from making moonshine. Like it, it is a natural um, product of, of enzymatic reactions and fermentation. Um, but that methanol is bound with the fiber pectin. And so in our digestive tracts, it's not absorbed. Uh, it's bound with the pectin. Whereas when you consume aspartame, 
uh, that methanol is free methanol. So it, it's not bound with anything. So it's absorbed into the body where it is converted into formaldehyde, uh, which is a known carcinogen, and uh, another chemical that I probably am mispronouncing called diketopiperazine, uh, which is also a carcinogen. And so it's probably that toxic nature of the small doses of methanol that are the biggest problem. Um, but again, you know, a lot of the studies that are done are just starting to tease out the mechanisms. They're focusing more on aspartame as a whole, aspartame influencing this particular uh, hormone system or this particular enzyme activity and not necessarily breaking down which subcomponent of aspartame is the problem. So I mentioned that there's a lot of independent studies that are showing aspartame is linked to chronic illness. And let's start with cancer. Uh, there have been some really rigorous studies done uh, in animals um, and now some more uh, epidemiological stuff done in people uh, showing that aspartame, even at levels that are you know considered moderate, are uh, very strongly linked to cancer. So uh, a study done at the Ramazzini Institute found that aspartame caused a 300% increase in lymphoma and leukemia incidence. Um, and they've actually done like a 20, it's like a 20 year study um, done in animals that was so amazing because the animals were allowed to die naturally. So they were actually able to investigate the uh older um, age health effects. And that's really important in cancers because a lot of cancers, it takes time for the um, effects to add up in our bodies to manifest as cancer. And so a lot of animal studies that don't do full lifespan studies miss those effects. Um, but there's been studies in humans as well Overall, studies have linked aspartame with liver cancer, lung cancer, brain cancer, breast cancer, prostate cancer, um, and uh, even the cancer incidence in animal studies anyways uh, increases if animals are exposed to aspartame in the womb. So there's this extra scary piece of um, – exposure, even in utero, may increase lifelong cancer risk. So I think it's interesting because, you know, like I said, the thing that I focused on with aspartame is mostly the brain, because that's, that's the thing that like really concerns me is the people that I love not being able to remember me or, you know, losing the ability to control their body because they can't remember how, like those that for me in particular is um, one of those things that I fear the most. And I think um, cancer is just such an obvious one. I think it's, you know, good that we started with it, but I think a lot of us take for granted because so many things can be associated with cancer. Now um, it, it's almost like it's flippant, um, you know, like, ah, oh, yes, one, one more thing that causes cancer. But to me, it's it's also kind of like, well, if you know that this causes cancer and it's not like, you know, in the air you breathe and, and difficult to root out, and especially if you have these particular cancers that run in your family, it could be a really good idea to not feed the cancer with this nasty sugar, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's actually, there have been researchers that have called it a multi-potential carcinogenic agent, even in doses well below the legal acceptable amount, which means that even in your, you know, can of diet soda a day, um, you have a compound that has the ability to increase risk of multiple different kinds of cancer. And, and that's likely through its uh, effects on cellular health, right? Like you impact cellular health and cells have a higher uh, probability of transforming. You mess around with the immune system by causing systemic inflammation and then the immune system is not going to detect those transformed cells. So mechanistically, if you're talking about a compound that messes with cellular health and the oxidant, antioxidant balance 
uh, causing systemic inflammation, it, it makes a lot of sense that cancer would be a result. But a 300% increase in cancer is huge. That That's that's a really big number. That's three times higher incidence is what that means. And so that's um, – that I mean, there's very few other things. I mean, smoking obviously is is huge, right? That's like a 20 times higher in, for like lung cancer. Um, but there's not a whole lot of other things in our life that we can be exposed to that increase cancer risk at that level. So the diabetes information, actually, I found really interesting, especially because uh, during my time of drinking a lot of diet soda was when I developed prediabetes and borderline type 2 diabetes. Um, you would think that substituting sugar, which is also very strongly, right, high sugar intake, refined sugar intake is strongly linked with diabetes and obesity. You would think that replacing that with a non-nutritive sweetener would reduce the risk of diabetes, but actually uh, studies show that's not the case, that in fact drinking diet soda on a daily basis causes a, a two-thirds increase in the risk of type 2 diabetes compared to not drinking any diet soda. Um, and what's interesting is even in people with uh, obesity prediabetes, that uh, aspartame intake is associated with greater glucose intolerance, so higher insulin resistance, and people are already on their way to developing diabetes. There was a really interesting study done in 2016 that showed that this effect uh, may be through a, ch a change in the, the gut microbiome. So the study showed some changes in the types of gut bacteria that were growing um, in uh, animals fed aspartame that looked a lot like what happens in obesity. And they actually did fecal transplant experiments where they took the uh, microbiota from animals that were consuming aspartame and transferred them to what are called germ-free mice. So those are mice with, with their bacteria has been completely wiped out. And they were actually able to show that just doing a fecal transplant caused uh, glucose intolerance, right, insulin resistance in the mice that were received the bacteria from the mice that were fed aspartame. So that's a, that's a pretty... Um, a pretty strong result showing uh, aspartame can be linked to insulin resistance and diabetes and showing that the, the microbiota is likely the mediator of that effect. Um, and, you know, when we talk so much about uh, all of the choices, you know, how, why paleo and the enemy protocol are so good for gut health and why gut health is so important. Um, of course, I'm writing a microbiome book now. So this is also a, a topic that I'm uh, very much uh, into reading a ton about. And then I read something like this and I just feel like, you know, all of the eat more vegetables and seafood and work, you know, exercise and all of these other recommendations to support gut microbiome health and gut microbiome diversity. And meanwhile, something like diet soda is completely shifting people's um, gut bacteria towards undesirable strains that may mean that they're not getting the benefits from the good choices that they make. Um, there's also another, like that's only one of the sort of um, mechanisms. There's another study that looked at uh, an enzyme in the gut called intestinal alkaline phosphatase and showed that aspartame inhibited that enzyme. And that enzyme seems to be important for protecting against metabolic syndrome through preventing the translocation of endotoxin following high fat diets into the body. So that that's okay. That was a lot. So uh, when we consume high fat diets, fat acts as a what's called a lipid raft, uh, but basically like a, 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 you know, like a fast pass uh, into the body for endotoxin, which is a toxic bacterial protein found in the cell wall of many different kinds of protein like E. coli, but also 
about a third to two thirds of the bacteria in our gut have endotoxin in their cell membranes. So even probiotic bacteria have some endotoxin. And in high fat diets, it helps to transport endotoxin to the body. Endotoxin is extraordinarily inflammatory. It is ex- it just extremely inflammatory. It's, it's used in, uh, uh, in, in animal models, it's used to uh, stimulate uh, toxic shock. For example, uh, sepsis is is you know in, induced by just uh, administering endotoxin. And so, this enzyme that seems to protect against endotoxin coming into the body is inhibited by aspartame, which means that consuming aspartame, at least in the context of a high fat diet, permits endotoxin from coming into the, into the body. And this, it particularly struck a chord with me because there was a time in my early twenties where I was following a low carb diet and consuming things like diet soda, like ice cream sweetened with, uh, sugar, non-nutritive sweeteners. And so it was a, you know, high protein, high fat diet, where aspartame uh, may have been one of the contributors to the fact that my health completely deteriorated uh, despite me losing weight uh, to the point where I had a, a massive autoimmune flare and was apartment bound for, for months. Um, so um, it, it's uh, the implication of aspartame being even worse in the context of what is a very normal dietary situation in America, I think is, is very scary. I, I, I admit I did get a little lost there when you started adding this stuff. Um, I can't even repronounce the, the high fat piece of it. I'll just say that. Um, <laughs> the, the alkaline piece, you know, it's interesting to me. I don't know um, how many listeners we have who even can get their hands on a copy of if they didn't read the original paleo diet, but you and I have mentioned before in a joking way. And it was my, it was my book tour joke that when I started paleo, the only book that was out there as available was the paleo diet and it allowed for canola oil and diet coke that's how far we've come and what is fascinating to me about this particular piece is that that diet also really focused on ph balance which has been another thing that's kind of been thrown thrown around as being not as valid as was once originally thought um, when it comes to, you know, general health and um, well-being and things like gut health and that kind of stuff are coming out more as kind of really being the thing that was driving where they thought that there was success in this, you know, alkaline um, imbalance. But here we are kind of full circle talking about Diet Coke and alkaline and I'm like, Oh, what, what is this? Um, but I, I am fascinated for sure. And I do, I really hope that this piece about, um, the increased frequency with diabetes is something that culturally we can share because I do think that a lot of people who are pre-diabetic are told to switch to Diet Coke Mm -hmm. and, um, or diet beverage of whatever kind. And, um, I just, I don't want to get sued by uh, Diet Coke, so I'm just going to put that disclaimer out there. We're not picking on any brand um, in particular. This is about aspartame. That just happens to be the beverage that I loved when I was younger. And the one that I did as well, so. Yeah. Um, But it's, it's just heartbreaking to me to think about the people who are out there who are thinking that they're making a better choice. And who are, in fact, adding all sorts of other health risk factors to their life by by switching to diet. Well, and potentially, if you can imagine the situation where somebody is pre-diabetic and they're switching to diet soda um, or, you know, aspartame and other and other products, right, diet yogurts or whatever it is, and uh, and they're basically going from the frying pan to the fire. They're accelerating the, the loss of, of glucose tolerance and insulin sensitivity. Um, and so it's completely backfiring. 
And I know that I've been in a place where I have felt like it doesn't matter what I eat, like nothing's going to work. And so you're, you're basically then creating a situation where um, people are going to feel defeated and then you're just going to end up, you know, giving people medications to try to manage their, their blood sugars. Like it, it's, um, it, it's information that needs to be out there because um, especially people who are dealing with uh, cardiovascular disease risk factors, cancer risk factors, uh, weight gain, uh, diabetes, um, aspartame needs to be off the table. Speaking of cardiovascular disease, that was actually the study that you sent me with the uh, can we please cover this in a podcast. Um, there was a, a recent study, and granted, there's there's been um, a collection of studies uh, done over the years linking aspartame and other non-nutritive sweeteners with cardiovascular disease. But the study that was done in, in 2017 or published in 2017 was an absolutely huge meta-analysis. I think it had over 400,000 um, people included by the time it, it pooled the data from all of these different studies. Uh, it was called Non-Nutritive Sweeteners and Cardiometabolic Health, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis of Randomized Controlled Trials and Prospective Cohort Studies. So those are also pooled data of the most powerful type of studies. And what they showed in the cohort studies was that consumption of non-nutritive sweeteners, I'm, I'm quoting from the abstract now, was associated with increases in weight and waist circumference, higher incidence of obesity, hypertension, metabolic syndrome, type 2 diabetes, and cardiovascular events. Um, I mean, absolutely amazing. This is probably one of the highest quality studies on aspartame ever done. And it, it showed uh, not, you know, these increased increases in risk factors for cardiovascular disease and then increased cardiovascular disease and metabolic syndrome. Um, and it's really, really important because um, cardiovascular disease is not even typically part of the FDA's metrics for whether or not something's going to get approved. So they they will, you know, if it's a drug, they'll look at cardiovascular disease as um, as a side effect. But generally, for uh, food additives, they're looking for genotoxicity, carcinogenesis, carcinogenesis. If it's a carcinogen. Let's just say it that way. Um, and if it's a pterogen, so if it impacts uh, fetal development. Um, and cardiovascular disease is very secondary because typically you have to uh, do these studies for so long to be able to see this. And here's these incredible amount of data in people, in humans, showing uh, that it basically creates a perfect storm for cardiovascular disease, including stroke. I just want to point out that at the beginning – of this tangent, you said that the paper I found was the best ever mm -hmm. done on aspartame. Mm -hmm. Just that's all. Just, just a little <laughs> humble brag. So one of the things that that paper showed was that um, people who consumed aspartame uh, were much more likely to be uh, obese, and of course, we've already talked about diabetes. What's really interesting is there's been a few studies that have tried to understand why someone would gain weight consuming a calorie-free beverage. And the um, the ideas behind this, and it's, it's definitely a, a topic that needs more research, is that consuming these sweet tasting beverages that are non-nutritive, non so they don't actually contain sugar, increase our sugar cravings because we're tasting the sweet thing, but we're not getting the normal signals that would say, here's here's the sugar. Um, uh, you know, our body would normally be like, aha, there was the sugar. And we'd have some way of like, okay, great. My, my, my sweet craving is satiated. So we're getting the sweet without getting that feedback. So we end up wanting more and more sweet. But because of some of the potential effects, uh, it's just like neurological effects, which I'll also talk about in a second, um, 
having that constant sweet taste and maybe some direct effects of aspartame itself is affecting behavior around food um, and specifically affecting how we choose foods and our decision-making around foods so that we are much more likely to increase our caloric intake over time. So the studies are actually showing that consuming uh, these non, you know, these diet sodas, diet, you know, non-nutritive uh, sweeteners in however, whether we're using it to sweeten our tea or coffee or whatever, however we're getting it, uh, over time makes us more likely to consume excess calories, um, basically by, by driving sugar addiction and interfering with the normal feedbacks that would normally keep that in check. But there are some really concerning neurologic and mood problems that have been linked with aspartame. And Stacey, you mentioned this as being something that was particularly important to you. Um, some of the earliest side effects reported from aspartame were neurological side effects, right? Like migraine headaches. Um, so this is actually one of the fields that have been most intensely studied over the longest period of time is the effects of aspartame on uh, mood and uh, neurological um, conditions. And so research shows that aspartame increases uh, a variety of things, things like irritability um, and just mood problems in general, but also clinical depression. So drinking four or more cans of diet soda a day increases depression by up to about 38%, um, which is pretty big. And also how much soda I drank when I was diagnosed as having anxiety problems in my mid-20s, so also fascinating for me. Um, it also causes some direct uh, impact to cognition, so it causes declines in our spatial orientation, learning, and emotional function. It increases risk of stroke, which was also covered under cardiovascular disease, uh, increases risk of dementia, and there's even a couple of studies showing that it uh, increases seizure rates, and those are all studies done in people. In animal studies, uh, some of this has been uh, expanded upon. So in animal studies, uh, aspartame causes memory loss, uh, distortion of neuronal function, uh, which means neurons aren't firing properly, increase in brain cell death in specific regions of the brain. And in mouse studies, infant mice exposed to aspartame uh, developed brain damage, uh, even when given relatively low doses, which is just amazing. There was actually um, a really important study done in 1993 uh, to look at the correlation between mood disorders and aspartame in people who were either diagnosed with depression or, or not. So comparing people with diagnosed depression versus controls. And the study had to be discontinued because those participants with a history of depression who were consuming aspartame had such severe negative reactions. They had to discontinue the study uh, for ethical reasons because the reactions were so huge. And it was basically then sort of determined that, you know, anybody with any kind of history of mood problems should be discouraged from ingesting aspartame. And yet that was research done 25 years ago. I don't think that this is a particularly well understood effect of aspartame consumption. No, I knew about some pieces of it. Um, but some of this is definitely fascinating to me. I mean, dementia is just like one small bullet here on your, I don't know, what is this, six pages of notes? Um, and yet that's what I've read, you know, pages and pages and pages on. Um, so the fact that that's one bullet among many of the other brain affecting neurological side effects um, kind of just wrecks me. I guess the thing that the thing that gets me upset is that there are so many people who are consuming it and don't realize the damage that it's causing either because it's um, because they're not overweight or because um, they are overweight and they're trying to lose weight and they think Diet Coke will help or um, because it's contributing to cancer and they can't see that in their body. Um, but these, some of these neurological and mood issues are really important for people to 
be aware of because if you're irritable or depressed, um, removing something as simple as a drink from your life could have a huge impact on your quality of life. And to me, it's just, it's unbelievable the information that we have in America. And like you said, we're not going to get political, but there's reasons that this still exists on the market, just the same way that there's reasons that cigarettes still exist on the market, right? Because businesses are getting paid um, and they don't want to lose that money. And so they'll do what they need to do to keep their business running. And I I get that. I'm a businesswoman. Um, But it's just unfortunate that at the very least people could make informed decisions. So that's what we are trying to do here is help you and your loved ones make informed decisions about um, what is out there and what it could be doing to your health, whether you see it physically or not. So I looked up uh, the warning label that's on aspartame. (laughs) And after going through all of this science, uh, you know, and and incredibly rigorously well-done studies that really should send aspartame back for reevaluation and probably it's I w- I mean I'm not an expert in uh the process of you know approval and how something gets approval or how it loses approval but I'm convinced <laughs> like from all of the reading that I did today I mean I I looked at several dozen scientific studies that were all well done showing uh problems including mechanistic uh, links between aspartame and health, but the 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 warning label is specifically for people with a condition called PKU, uh, which stands for for phenyl keto ketonuria. So uh, it is um, a disorder that's caused by a buildup of phenylalanine in the body, which is one of the amino acids that aspartame breaks down into. It's a rare inherited disorder. And the, the label basically says that people with PKU shouldn't consume aspartame because it contains phenylalanine. <laughs> so like all of these other things, uh, you know, links with dementia and type two diabetes and cardiovascular disease and cancer and depression and um, the thing that's on the label is people with this, you know, rare genetic disorder um, shouldn't contain it, shouldn't drink it. Yeah. You know, what's interesting. I just um, looked it up myself and it says products containing saccharin no longer have to carry the warning label. There used to be a much stronger warning label than the one that you just gave. Like, for example, years and years ago when... I was consuming aspartame diet beverages. I remember looking at the label. Um, And so think about that, listeners, for a minute. There was a warning label put on a food because it was so dangerous. And somebody did something behind the scenes to convince the FDA that it no longer needed a warning label. The product didn't change. Nothing about it changed. But now it no longer needs a warning label. So there you have it. and that is from the FDA's website as of February 8th, 2018. So for what that's worth. Um, well, thank you, Sarah, for doing the science on this topic. I will be sharing it with my loved ones and trying to convince them that I would like to continue to have conversation with them in the future. I think that <laughs> the, 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 the number one sort of quotable statistic here is that the uh, – 92% of the studies that were not specifically funded by the food industry discovered some kind of problems with aspartame. And there's a variety of different things that are reported, everything from minor like, oh, yeah, look, it increases migraines to, hey, it could, you know, make you have cancer. Um, but that the, you know, like even the on the FDA website, it says, you know, there's over 100 studies that show that aspartame is safe. But those studies are funded by the industry, and I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist by nature. I strongly dislike the idea of, uh, you know, having to even think that industry might have cherry picked data in order to support the safety. Like that, it's it's so slimy. I have such a hard time believing that 
anybody is that slimy. I don't like it. I don't like being in a place where I I think conspiracy theory ish thoughts. I'm a really sort of I usually run the other way from conspiracy theories, but I don't know how else to interpret that disparity of results between studies funded by industry and studies that are independently funded. I, I just don't know how else you can interpret why if you literally draw a line between the studies that are, are sponsored versus those that aren't, that sponsor studies shows it's fine and everybody else goes, not, not, no, it's not. Um, and other than like, this is why it's so important to have independently funded research and, you know, I can now <laughs> go on and on and on about the importance of increasing things like grant funding so that people can have independently funded research and don't have to have um, private sector funding for for uh, basic scientific research. That's that's a whole other soapbox that I could go on for for a couple of hours, probably. Um, I, I other than than making that statement, I'm not really sure what the solution here is. I think the solution is to not consume aspartame. Vote with our dollars. That's what I'm going to do. Well, listeners, yet again, thank you for tuning in to the Paleo View, especially during this Time Warp series, whereby Sarah is actually off in Canada doing enjoyable things with her family, um, taking a hopefully true vacation for the first time. I might be camping right now. You might, I'm sure you're hiking or at the beach or doing something wonderful and lovely. Um, I love watching your photos and activities when you're in Canada. It's just <laughs> stunning. Like, I, you know, I've never, I've been to the Pacific Northwest, uh, but I've never been above the border on that side. And it just looks That area is so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. It really is beautiful. Um, if you enjoyed the show, please share it. Your referrals help us reach more people in our quest to get everyone healthy and healthy and happy. And we love your comments and feedback on social media, leaving reviews for us, which you can do regularly on iTunes or however you're listening to the show to refresh it and pull it back up and help other people find it in iTunes. Um, and of course, when you visit our blog for show notes, links, please use the sidebar so that we can continue to give you excellent podcasts. Hopefully that's how you feel anyway. (laughs) (laughs) You know, if anyone's like still listening and they haven't like turned it off yet, either Matt rocks the bloopers every single week and people just want us to like wrap it up so they can hear the bloopers or they actually really like us and they are totally going to take two minutes to, to write us a review this week. I like it. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. We need a little, like, like... The old Scooby-Doo cartoons. Are you sure you didn't mean Wayne's World right there? Because I did. It was a Wayne's World. It was totally Wayne's World. Anybody who was listening just heard Wayne's World. Yeah. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.